Dead Bodies is not for the squeamish and is intended for mature audiences. Fuck, I still can't believe people like us. <laughs> they're really, they're really good. Are we and rolling? I... Yeah. Oh, oh shit. Okay. <laughs> Okay, well, welcome to Dead Bodies. Thanks for listening. It does shock me that people like us and I'm humbled and it just blows my mind. I'm actually blushing that we were talking about ourselves. Oh, sorry. Um, But would you like to refer to what I'm wearing? Dee Dee has made herself a lovely, lovely top that says... Drop my good pen. Nice things, nice things. You can see it on our Facebook and Instagram. Now, I had every intention of making one for Kirsten and one for you. No, I'm going to but... make us. No, I'm not going to make them. I'm. I've. I found someone that em- does embroidery on t-shirts, and oh, she good. does them amazing. And because I wanted um, to do you a moida one, moida. And I had every intention of doing one for each of you, but I hand embroidered it, and it took me so long. That's fine. That I just thought, no, I can't. It's so I good. Don't have it in me people are loving it on the socials, which is cute. Go for it, folk. Um, okay, me first. Okay. Okay, so I feel like this is a very actually DD story, but I'm going to do it. So the accents. Well, there's accents, and you know, yeah, there's a lot of names that I'm probably not going to say right. But I want to take. Can you. I correct you? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay. We're Russian. It's Russian. Oh. Yeah, Russian's hard, right? Mm. Oh, I was going to do one, but I felt like it sounded German in my brain. Anyway, we're going to 1959. Mm -hmm. Mm. We are talking about a 23-year-old ski hiker whose name is Igor. Igor, yes. (laughs) Alexeevich. Alex, yeah, I don't have Russian at the moment. Dietlov. Dietlov. Mm. Mm -hmm. Now, he and his team of eight experienced ski hikers Mm -hmm. from the Ural Polytechnical Institute. Do not get out. What? I know what what this story is. Do you? I actually had it ready to go on another day. Tell it to me. I love it. I am doing it. Feel free to jump in if you know things that I haven't included. So you've got Igor and his team of eight experienced ski hikers and they're going to set off on a journey in 1959. Mm-hmm. Now, they wanted to reach the peak of Otorten, Otorten, which was a mountain in the northern Urals, which is uh, Western Russia. So the students were experienced hikers, but the route they had chosen was remarkably difficult. You're like, oh, I'm you're so dying excited that you you're know telling what this story me. This is. is such a good story. Yes, it's a great story. Okay, so. Uh, They set off on January 31. On the second day, the hiking team began to make their way through the then unnamed pass leading to Ototen. (laughs) That was terrible. (laughs) You say it. Charles' neck went all wooden. I don't know how to say it. So as they pushed through, the climate got crazy pretty Mm. much. It's snowing, there's strong winds, and they were hit with snowstorms that ripped through this narrow pass where they were. Mm. Now, because visibility decreased, they lost their way. So they lost their sense of direction, and instead of moving towards the peak, they accidentally deviated, uh, and they found themselves on the slope of a nearby mountain. Now, you have to remember at this point, it's 1959, they don't have any phones with them, Mm. but before they left... uh, 
Igor told his sports club that he and his team would send a telegram as soon as they returned from the hike. Mm-hmm. So that they set off on January 31, fast forward to February 20, mm-hmm. no communication. Mm. His sports club have not heard anything for, from him and a search party is sent out. Yep. So the volunteer rescue force trekked through the pass and they found the campsite, but they didn't find any hikers. So army and police investigators were sent in to determine what had happened to the missing students and Igor. When they arrived at the campsite, the first thing investigators noticed was that the tent had been cut open from the inside Mm -hmm. and most of the team's belongings include – look at your face, you're Ah. like dying – most of the team's belongings, including several pairs of shoes, mm-hmm. were still inside the tent. Mm-hmm. They have to remember, snowstorm, the shoes are still inside the tent. Weird. Strange. I would put my shoes on in the snow. Same. They then discovered eight or nine sets of footprints from, they believe, the team, mm. many of them clearly made by people either not wearing any shoes, not wearing socks, or only with one shoe on. Mm. So... The tracks led to the edge of nearby woods, which was almost a mile away from the camp. At the forest's edge, under a large cedar, could have just written tree, but that's fine, (laughs) the investigators found the remains of a small fire and the first two bodies. Now, these were the bodies of, God rest their souls, because I'm about to murder their names, (laughs) Yuri Krivenshenko, who Mm -hmm. was 23, and Yuri Doroshenko, who was 21. Mm -hmm. Now, despite temperatures of minus 13 to minus 22 on the night of their deaths, both men's bodies were found shoeless Mm. in undies. See, that's bizarre. Right? If you were going to break out of your tent and run for some reason. Why are you just in your undies? Yes. They then found the next three bodies. Those were of Igor, uh, Zineda, Colum and Grover, who is 24, and Rustam Sloboden, who is 23, who had died on their way back to camp mm-hmm. from the large cedar, mm-hmm. the tree. All the students had perished from hypothermia, but their bodies showed no indication of severe external damage beyond... What had been inflicted from the cold? Hang on a minute. Wasn't somebody's eyeballs missing? Are you getting to that? Oh, sorry. Well, you've wrecked my stories before. For fuck's sake, well, honestly. Do it then. Well, you just said there's nothing wrong with No, bodies. these people are fine. Oh, okay. There's more. Sorry. Okay, Two in undies, three others. Yes. Who? Hypothermia. Right. Christ alive. My next sentence says, it wasn't until the other four bodies were found. Yes. Two months later that the mystery deepened, which you already know about. Kirst has (laughs) lost it too. Anyway, they were discovered buried under the snow in a ravine 75 metres deeper into the woods and their bodies told dramatically different stories. Oh, I wonder what's going to happen ah, next. Tell me. So three of the six hikers had fatal injuries, including Nikolai oh, Thebo Brinolis, who was 23. God rest his soul. God rest his soul. I got murdered that name. Who had suffered significant skull damage in the moments before his death. Mm-hmm. Ludmila Dubinia, 
who was 20, and Semyon Zolotaryov, okay, had major chest fractures that could only have been caused by immense force, and their injuries were comparable to, or comparable, what's the word? Yeah, close enough. Mm, to that of a car crash. Yes. Horrific injuries. But the most gruesome part, I'm rolling my eyes because you already know, of the incident was that Dabinia was missing her tongue, her eyes, part of her lips, as well as facial tissue and a fragment of her skull bone. Now, do you have an explanation for that? Well, I've got theories to explain. Because, yes, okay, you tell me your theory. Because there was, there was a theory that I read and I went, yeah, okay, that's where her eyeballs and her tongue and everything went. They also found the body of Alexander Kolovatov, who was 24, in the same location, but he didn't have any gruesome wounds. Mm. So the two groups of bodies suggested very different things. The second group that they found were wearing clothes that they'd clearly taken from the first group of people Mm -hmm. after they died. So they kind of worked out that they died in the groups they were in and then second group have gone and stripped clothes off the others. And they, I think I read something about one of them had a wound that was tied up with someone else's pants. Right. And they could work out. So do you think the ones that had just underpants on, the other ones had taken their clothes off? I think so. Right. I think so. So that would explain why, why they were, only 90s. So early on, many Soviets suspected that the students' deaths were the result of an ambush by local tribesmen. Um, a sudden attack would account for the way the hikers fled their tents, obviously without their shoes, uh, their disarray and the damage done to the second group of bodies. But that explanation was fizzled out because mm. they actually worked out that the, the Manzi people, who were the tribesmen, were largely peaceful mm-hmm. and would have no reason to attack the group of hikers. Mm. Other investigators began to test the theory that the deaths were possibly some sort of argument between the group. They mm. thought that maybe there had been a love interest yes, and that people had begun to fight. Yeah. Uh, but each they, other's tongues out. Sure. And eye, eyeballs. Yeah. Um, and crush their ribs. Well, you know. Yes, you do. But people who knew the group said that they were all friends and that mm. wouldn't have happened. Uh, but then there was one weird theory about small amounts of radiation that were detected in the bodies, leading to wild theories that the students had been killed by some sort of secret radioactive weapon. Yes. And people thought yeah. that they had perhaps stumbled onto secret testing of USSR um, weaponry. Yeah, and I, that made a little bit of sense to me because yes. there was something going on in that area. And, you know, it sounds to me like information has been covered up. Yeah. And the footprints found in the snow, how long after those bodies had – or how long? Well, that's the weird thing, yeah, right? Yeah, I think hearing because, you tell it again now, I'm thinking how could the footprints still be yeah, there? Yeah, so they set off January 31. People don't start looking for them until February 20. Yeah. How are they still working out this footprint? Yeah. So yeah. that's weird. So earlier this year, uh, the Russian government denied any involvement in the deaths mm. and they uh, did a media conference and they, you know, said, look at all the documents. You could, These are all the documents from the time. You can clearly look at them all. We're looking documents. Mm. See, we have nothing hiding. Mm. These are all the pe- – have you watched that Russian doping scandal no. documentary on Netflix? No. Mm, it's incredible. What's it called? I can't think of it off the top of my head. Mm. 
sure you'll they've, Google it. They've lied before. Um, can't, can't Google and talk at the same time, Chanel? Well, no, I can. I can actually. Surprised. I know exactly where I'll find. Why did I tempt fate? The name of it. She is um, Googling and telling I a story. I am. Icarus. Um, is that what it's called? Is that the documentary? Yeah. Uh, right. And so last month, investigators returned to the scene to try and get answers because the families, the nine families, still want to know yeah. how this could have happened. And it would be – there are photos of each of the bodies. Oh, I didn't find those. Yes, there's photos I only online. found them all at the campsite. No, there's photos of their dead bodies and what? they look horrendous. Oh, I want to see those. The face, eyeballs, tongue, face missing – What's your theory on that? I don't know. The one that, that could I be read. Animals. Oh, no. Eyes being cut out is not animals, is it? Well, were they cut out? So I read a theory that she was found, because that, that body was found several months later, wasn't it? Two months later. Face down yes. in a ravine or a river or something. So they're thinking that it was, you know, animals or fish she's actually, or something. Um, in the photo I saw, she's kneeling with her face down. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah, so creatures have got at the face. Yeah. I'm so glad you did that because you did a much better job of it oh, than no, I would ever have done. you do a wonderful job telling well, stories. Tell us one now. I will. I have been reading this book called Killer Excuses. I love how – so dee has got this book. She always comes in with random books <laughs> that she finds at the op shop and gets, she gets these fabulous stories yep. from them. Open that book. I won't be able to see what your story is. Okay. They're just writing all over the book. Well, because... And you underline with pen. You don't even underline with a highlighter. No, I just went for it. This only cost me three ninety nine at the op shop. Um, the reason that I've scribbled on the actual pages of the book, which is something... It was so much fun doing. Because you're not allowed to do it when you're at school. And when you're a grown-up, you buy You can write book. all over your you books. You can write it. So there was that. It was delicious just running a pen across it. But the other thing was that I looked for it to see if it was online and I could cut and paste and do my yeah. own research. Could not find it anywhere. So as far as I can tell, this is the only version of it. It's probably somewhere. but uh, So I'm going to credit the author of this book. His name is Wayne Howell. He's an Australian journalist, and this book was published in 2012. He was a, a reporter, crime reporter for the Herald Sun oh. or AAP. 2012, and it already ended up in the op shop. It's disappointing. I know. It's really good. It's got Maybe some it's a dead person's uh, good book. stories in it. But anyway, I'm, so I'm largely borrowing from... Uh, well, pretty much telling you Wayne's story, but just with lots sure. of lines through it. So it's the story of a man by the name of Gabriel Omar Chang and a woman, a 27-year-old woman by the name of Diane, I'm going to say Salia. It's P-S-A-I-L-A, Sailor, Sailor. Salia? Salia. Yes, I'll go with Salia. Uh, so on the 8th of November, 1999, mm-hmm. Diane went to see Gabriel Omar Chang, who was 31 at that time. Her father, a man by the name of Charlie, wanted to paint his car. Paint? And he wanted a colour to match with the sunroof of the car. He must have been painting the body, but the sunroof was already an existing colour. And this guy, Chang, worked in a paint factory and Diane was friends with him. Right. So Dad sent her around and said, get some paint from him. And Chang said that while Diane was there, she asked for money for heroin. Okay. That just came out of nowhere. (laughs) Okay. That escalated quickly. Sure. Uh, He told police that... When she did that, he hit her with an open hand on her head or her throat when she freaked on him all of a sudden. Yeah, mate, 
No worries. Okay. He said that she fell and hit her head on a wooden armrest. Okay. He tried to get a pulse, couldn't feel anything. He panicked and put her in the boot of the car instead of calling an ambulance. Weird. This sounds like a recent murder in Melbourne. Yeah. Let's follow his journey. He later said that, and he changed his story a little bit, he later said that Diane wanted money to redeem jewellery she had pawned to buy heroin and that she had, for all of a sudden, for no reason, started hitting him. And he said he then hit back with an open hand. She fell on the armrest. All the rest is exactly as he said. Mm. And when the self-defence? Yes, according to him. When he saw that she was bleeding around the eyes, he took off. She was wearing a grey jumper and a black V-neck top. He took them off and he tied them around her head because he said he couldn't stand seeing her dead, bloodied face. And also he didn't want her blood spilt around his house and and she was bleeding from the head. Sure. A pathologist who looked at her later found a hole in one of the two jumpers that was tied around her head and it was at the spot where her skull was fractured. Okay. And there was a little bit of material found in that. So there was a two-centimetre wound and there was a bit of material in that which showed that she had actually been hit after the jumpers had been wrapped around her head. So Chang then said that he had, and I quote, tapped Diane on the head with an Aluminium meat tenderizer after she died. Oh, not sure. Tapped why. her with a meat tenderizer after she was dead. Just tapped her though. Tapped her. Yeah. Uh, he said after he did that. Dead. He said he did it lightly because he couldn't bear touching her. I guess he was like prodding to check if she was dead or something. Why wouldn't you just push her with your foot? I don't know. That was his. He he's not a smart man. He wrapped her body in a doona, uh, put her in the car alongside the – so she had actually brought the sunroof panel from Dad's car with her oh, got you. to say, can you match this paint colour? So he put that into the boot of the car as well and drove um, – actually, he put them into her car, drove her car to the home of a work colleague of his, a guy by the name of James Adams, and left it in the garage there. So framing someone. Not sure. Just Right, okay, sure. Just just put it there. He's not thinking clearly at this point. He then went to Diane's brother's place of work and asked where she was. So oh. it sounds to me like he's constructing his alibi. Hey, have you seen Diane? I haven't seen her lately. Right. Bit of that sort of action. And he went through the same little charade with Diane's father, went to him. Have you seen Seen Diane? Diane? No, I sent her to see you. No, I haven't seen her lately. Have you seen her? A bit of that. The father, um, oh, he was a father of two, this guy. He went about organising his escape. Now, he realised at this point that he was going to have to go on the run because he'd done a murder and he needed money for that. He stole $3,000 and a visa card from Diane's father's home safe. Uh, he later told the police he had nothing to do with that burglary, but then he did He did blurt out at one point, I did break in there, all right. I broke in there to get a bit of money to take off as well. I'm not going to lie no more, all right. Mm. 
Now, the next day when Diane's dad realised that the money was missing from the safe, he didn't tell the police because he thought that she oh, had may have robbed it. him. So it sounds like she may have had a, a drug problem and this yeah. was not an unusual thing okay. to happen. So um, this Victor Omar Chang, Gabriel, sorry, not Victor, Gabriel Omar Chang, he told his de facto wife that he had hurt his back in an accident and that he needed to take sick leave from work for the next three days. And James Adams, his workmate, who's got the dead body in the, his garage, but I don't think he knew about it at that point, um, Chang told James Adams that he was thinking of taking off and that he actually said to him, some things have been done that cannot be undone. Oh, good. It's like, mate, if you're going to tell... Don't say that to people. So on the night of Thursday, the 11th of November, still in 1999, Diane's body had now been in the boot of the car for almost four days. He asked this James Adams to go to the shops for him to buy him a torch, batteries, underwear, socks and some hair dye. And when James Adams asked, what are you up to? Chang replied, some things can't change. You just can't go back on. He's very poetic. Mm Mm-hmm. So he tried to – so he he was um, of Chilean Chinese heritage. Yeah, Gabriel Chang. Mm-hmm. So his hair was jet black and he desperately tried to dye it blonde, but it just wasn't working. The dye just wouldn't take. So I think when that happens, the hair goes orange, doesn't it? Mm, so you can yeah, only imagine can. what his hair looks like right. when he's been having a go at it with the peroxide. The next day, um, this James Adams is now helping him. So I do wonder how much he actually knew about what was going on because he tried to help Chang go bush um, because Chang had said he needed to get away for a while. Um, At an army disposal store, they bought a hiking pack. Good. A fold-up shovel, a pick, a sleeping bag and a mattress. They spent about $500 cash. Then they went to the Queen Vic Market which is very popular. If you come to Melbourne, yeah. please go to the Queen Vic Market. It's one of the oldest in the world, I think, isn't it? I'm isn't there people buried under that market? There is. Mm. You should do that one day. Yeah, there's it's lots of story. people buried yeah. under there. Mm. Uh, at the Queen Vic Market, Chang bought some sunglasses, a blonde wig and a cap. Right. They went into Bunnings. It's a hardware store if you're not from Australia. Uh, and they bought two bags of garden lime and some brick acid. Good. And Adam's And getting helped. on all the CCTV in the world. <laughs> like really. Would they have had that everywhere in 99? I reckon. Yeah. So they have some, not as much as now, but you'd be getting on some. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's seeing you. Adams then helped Chang put all this gear into the back of Diane's car. Mm-hmm. Apparently he was oblivious to the fact that her decomposing body was in the boot. But there was a stink in the car because of the, the body had been in there for several days at this point. So Chang put a bit of petrol on the back seat of the car to try and hide the smell of the body rotting in the boot. And Adams was driving along with him. He put oh no. on the blonde wig. Chang put on the blonde wig. And he roared off down the Great Ocean Road. Now, I think actually he's got rid of Adams at this point. I think it's just Chang on his own. Gone off down the Great Ocean Road body in the boot. He gets near the town of Lawn, which is a seaside resort, Yep, near a place called Big Hill, drives off the road into the bush. He parks, walks a little bit further, finds a spot that he thinks would be good to uh, dig a grave, starts digging. A short time later, 
senior constable Michael Atkinson noticed the car in the bush. So he's a local copper, thinks, what's that car doing there? And he, it was a green Volvo. He found the car full of camping equipment, found two large tins of hydrochloric acid and a large bag of garden gnome. And he saw nearby the partly dug shallow grave and nearby was a man with blonde hair in inverted commas lying face down on the ground. So the man got up and he said to the policeman, help me, help me. He told the copper, Stank, uh, he said to the copper that he I be- haven't spoken because I'm, I'm <laughs> dead about the fact that, like, how unlucky is Chang that he's digging, or is he dumb? I don't know. Was he not in a very good spot? And he's digging and then a cop comes, walks yeah. up and sees, like, lime and all this shit and a shallow grave. And he's trying to somehow explain what's going on. Says to the copper, help me, help me. I've been abducted by two Lebanese men from, from Paran which is a suburb of Melbourne, because I owe them $3,000 for drugs. And he said to the policeman that those two Hold Lebanese Hold on, so he band, must have seen the cop coming and he just lays down on the ground. Yeah, and made up a story Sleeping. On, the, on the fly. He's Sleeping. Making, he's working. Uh, he said that they threatened to kill him. And the policeman asked, what's with the wig? And Chang ripped it off his head and said that his abductors had forced him to wear it as a blindfold. I know. It's so good, isn't it? Oh, God. Bless you, Wayne Howe, for writing this. It's so good. Uh, he then told the policeman that his name was Dave Sampson. He's thinking good on the fly, though. <laughs> I'll give him that. Because, yeah, because they'd say to me, what? what's with the wig? And I'd go, I don't know. <laughs> so the policeman radios for support. Sure. Because he realised there's something going on here. Yeah. And while he was doing that, Chang hit the policeman <gasps> on the back of the head with the policeman's own fire extinguisher. And the the blow sent Senior Constable Atkinson flying across the police van's front seat. So he lay there for a bit unconscious. And when he came to... Chang's gone. No. What? Chang's there. What? With the fire extinguisher, gives him a face full of foam. Why wouldn't he just it's run so away? Good. Because the I thing is, know. the cop, oh, my God. Depends idiot. how long he was unconscious idiot. for. No, no, no. It doesn't because at the end of the day, the cop didn't know who Chang was. Yes. He just thought he was a weird bloke. Yeah. So if you knock the cop out, get in your car and get the F yeah. out. Well, he didn't have time to do that. So anyway, sprays foam in his face. So the cop fumbles for his capsicum spray. He sprays it at Chang. Chang then runs off. And the policeman uh, let him go. Okay, so shortly after, they found Diane's body Mm -hmm. in the boot of the car, still wrapped in the doona. Chang, who has run off into the bush, falls over a cliff. Oh, for fuck. (laughs) And breaks his left wrist. Now, the cops, they do find him. Uh, the next day, actually, it's like he's there out there yeah, all night. Yeah, he's down there just moaning. And they reckon when they found him, he was just in a pathetic state. He was filthy. Help. He was tired. He was in agony. Help. I can only imagine what his hair looked like with the bleaching and all the rest of it. So 15 months later. You su- could, I can imagine the walk I would do up to Chang. Like I can imagine how I'd walk. <laughs> I'd literally be like just shaking my head and dry and be like, hello, mate. 
I just wish this happened last week so that you could cover it in court oh, and come and tell me about it like I, I hadn't heard and it I before. Could put my- editorial sass on it so he made <laughs> so he bobs up in the supreme court the jury got to hear all of the tale and Incredible. chang's barrister a man by the name of john smallwood qc is he still around he is a judge now is he there he could have retired but he 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 was a judge he's very experienced because he's heard all this he um he told the jurors that his clients Somewhat bizarre conduct, in inverted commas, in the moments, hours and days after Diane's death did not mean he was guilty of murdering her. He said that she died accidentally when when Chang had fended off her attack. But the prosecutor said that uh, in a careful and calculated manner, Chang had gone about preparing to flee and to bury her body, showed that at the time he killed her, he had been possessed of murderous intent. Mm. Also um, added to that was the fact that they found no blood on the arm of the chair that he claimed she'd hit her head on right. and killed herself. So let me see. I've scribbled, but I haven't scribbled very well. Right. The judge said that him stealing from her and then trying to bury her body significantly aggravated the seriousness yeah. of the crime. And he sentenced Chang to a maximum of 18 years jail uh, for the murder and for all the other crimes to which he pleaded guilty, things like stealing the money from Diane's father and assaulting the police officer. He was sentenced to 27 months jail, but only six months of that was added to the 18-year murder sentence, minimum uh, non-parole term of 13 years and six months. I'm not good at maths, but he might be out now. And then after the verdict outside the court, Diane's mother um, wept as she told the reporters how hard it had been to watch Mm. the trial of her daughter's killer. And the worst part, she said, was the police video of Diane's decomposed body. Uh, A year and a half later, the nightmare started all over again for her family and friends when the Victorian Court of Appeal quashed the murder conviction and ordered a new trial. And so nine weeks later, the whole story was told again to a second Supreme Court jury. Um, It's a bit of remiss of me. I'm not sure why they quashed that first result. Anyway, this second hearing, they deliberated for five hours and they found him not guilty. There was just gasps of disbelief from her family and friends. I had an amazing revelation about this story, but continue, I'll tell you at the end. I'm nearly done, yeah. Um, He was declared guilty of manslaughter. He was sentenced to a maximum of five Five years, years, six months. Six months, non-parole period of three years and six months. Can I tell you why I know that? Yeah, so he's out, yeah. So I've just opened a note on my phone, and at the top of that note... Omar Chang. So why have you Gabriel got Gabriel Omachang. Why do I have that note in my phone? Well, there was a very uh, well-known murder case. I can talk about it. The murder of Karen Rostevsky. Yeah. Who, uh, her husband was sentenced in the Supreme Court uh, a few weeks ago, and he received, uh, by the time they calculated the time he's already uh, done behind bars, which is roughly a year and a half, minus that from his non-parole period of six years, he's out in four and a half years for killing his wife, mm. Karen Rostevsky. Now, uh, it's a very, very famous case in Melbourne, in Australia. You can Google it if you're outside of the country. Uh, there was a lot of outrage about this sentence. Yeah. And when judges uh, sentence people, they look at past uh, manslaughters mm-hmm. and 
that's how they work out, you know, come up with their sentences of, well, this guy did this, this, and this, and this. He got this much and that's worse or not as bad as what this guy did. And they work out their sentence. And Gabrielle Chang was one of the cases that the judge looked at to Mm. get the sentence for Boris Rostevsky. Wow. Mm. Isn't that interesting? And I actually thought that I was reading – I wrote a list of all the cases that he'd compared them to to come up with Bors's, uh sentence, and I actually thought that that case was probably the most in line mm. with Karen's death. Yeah. Um, because of just, you know, the cover-up and... Yeah. The yeah. only difference being the relationship with the two. I mean, that was a husband and wife killing, manslaughtering his mm. wife. Do I have to say that? Man's, yeah. Um, yes. Killing. Killing. Uh, Can't say murder. Whereas these two were just associates of some way. Mm. Yeah. So there That's you are. an incredible story. Isn't it amazing? Yeah. yeah. There's some more in this, which I, uh, with respect to Wayne Howe, bless him, um, might dip into in later I episodes. I look at that book. Not right now. Not oh. till I'm. You can have it next. Pardon me for scribbling all over it. Mm. Let's have a look at some feedbacks, shall we? Sure. We have on the email from Gemma. She says, "Hi, DD and Chanel. Nice things. Nice things. Love your podcast." Now she says that she's always been scared of death, much like DD. However, recently has come to find it a less scary prospect. Ooh, wonder why. So she says, my cousin Rosanna passed away in September last year. She was only 22 and pregnant mm. with her first child. Oh. She went to sleep and just didn't wake up. Wow. It's awful. Mm. Uh, she says, I flew to Scotland from Australia for her funeral and was shocked to find out that my auntie had planned to have Rosanna's body brought home for the night before the burial. Before the funeral. Yeah. This has happened to me with my uncle. Mm. Uh, she says she had no idea what to expect and she was feeling very apprehensive about having a dead person in the same house mm. she was sleeping in. Oh, she said that morning was odd. Uh, she says, I woke up feeling excited to see her. I initially thought it was because I was expecting her to walk through the door, but when she arrived, I literally could not wait to get a look at her. Mm. Not in a creepy way, she says, but she was curious to see mm. what she would look like. They always look different. Mm. I always find people I know that have died, they look different. But it's probably that thing of, of being able to accept it. Yes, for yeah. sure. She says, well... She was perfect. She had her hair and makeup done, her prom gown on, and she looked just like she was sleeping. I just wanted to keep looking at her and holding her hand. It made me feel better about the whole situation. It just felt like she was there with us. It was very comforting. The next morning we had the funeral and it was a lovely service, but very hard to get my head around that her body was no longer going to be here. She said, that night, my cousins and I were sitting with my auntie in the lounge room talking about Rosanna. My auntie said, I can't believe we aren't ever going to see her again. Her funeral was so final. And a voice said, I'm here. Mm, What? It was Siri. Oh. I'm here. Hello there, dead bodies. My name is Siri. How terrifying. Um, She said, since I got home, I've had a few experiences with my kitchen cupboards opening on their own. My phone sending text messages by itself when it's been at the other end of the room and just feeling a presence around me. She said, unlike Chanel's ghost experience in LA, (laughs) that experience still blows my mind. It's been nice knowing that Rosanna is still around. It's all made me feel like I shouldn't be scared of death anymore. 
It's just our next chapter. Oh, Keep Gemma. up the fabulous work with the podcast. Oh, I'm so Gemma. sorry you lost your friend. Can I tell you a quick story? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I won't. I won't name, na- name names, but they are a friend of mine uh, who had. I'm trying to disguise it a little bit because I haven't asked her if I can tell this story. Um, who had a, a, a parent mm-hmm. pass away, and for about a week she had a particular song stuck in her head. Yeah. For no reason at all. Yeah. So she's got this song stuck in her head. It keeps replaying, keeps replaying. Uh, as part of her work, she had to go to a veterinary clinic. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so she she goes to the veterinary clinic and she, you know, goes to reception, chats, I'm here to speak to this person, goes and speaks to the vet that she needs to speak to. And when she comes out, the receptionist hands her a piece of paper mm. and it has lyrics from that song written on it. What? Yeah. Why? And she says, I'm so sorry, but this just happens to me sometimes and I get messages. <gasps> And I just, as soon as you left reception, I started writing and I just felt like I needed to write this song down and just to tell you uh, that your parent has come into my brain and there was all this other stuff. I won't say what was written there, but there were all these other things as as well as lyrics for that song that were 100% in line with her parent that had died. Good Lord. Right? Yeah, I love So I'm all like for that. the creepy things that happen, and especially after what happened to me when I was overseas, I just feel like it's a thing. Yeah. Mm. You and your spooky ghosts. I know. Uh, I will do a feedback. This one is from Rachel on Facebook. Hi, ladies. Thanks for all your hard work to make such an enjoyable podcast. It's not hard work. Kirsten does all the hard work. Chanel and I take all the glory for it. We do. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Nice things, nice things. After Dee Dee's reaction to the alternative funerals. Oh, yes. I don't remember my reaction, but it was probably horror. It was. You might find this article interesting. It's about Tibetan sky burials. Thank you, Rachel. Mm. Um, she says, I shared my enthusiasm with a neighbour at a get-together. She just stared at me in a deadpan voice said, <laughs> have you ever lost anyone close to you? Oh. Um as in, like, judgmental because yeah. she was well, talking this about is a safe zone. Excitement. Exactly, here we can talk about it. Uh, she gave us a link to this story, which, uh, pardon me for editing it a little bit, but I hadn't heard of Tibetan sky burials. It's a custom in Tibetan Buddhism to farewell their dead. A dead body is chopped up into pieces and then fed to waiting vultures. There was an Actual article. vultures? Okay. Yeah. Sorry, so, Journo, people call us vultures sometimes. I had to clarify. <laughs> Different sort. (laughs) Actual Uh, vultures, yep. (laughs) So I read the article that uh, Rachel gave me the link to. So what they do is the Tibetans see it as their last gift to the universe. Oh, so they go up to the top of a mountain and the Tibetan the, – this particular article was a woman who actually went on one of these and observed it and she said there were Tibetan nuns chanting. There was about 100 vultures sitting up on the hill waiting oh. and a body bag on a stone slab. So the vultures kind no, of know they the know. drill. Yeah, yeah okay. Um, the bag was taken off. The corpse was revealed. She said this particular case, it looked like a middle-aged woman. The rogiapas or body breaker is a person – who came up the side of the mountain with a butcher's knife in, in hand and wasted no time in chopping up the body. The vultures then apparently start to jump when they see the flesh. Oh. The Tibetans hold the birds back 
and then they let them through and they swarm and they tear at the flesh. It takes about 15 minutes until <gasps> the entire corpse is gone, just leaving the bones. And then the body breaker, the person, gathers them up and pulverizes them with a mallet. Wait, it- po- the bones that are left. Oh, I thought we were pulverizing birds. No, Sorry. the birds go once okay. the meat's all gone. Yep. He then mixes the pulverized bones with yak butter and barley flour, rolls it into a ball and throws it up high where the vultures are and they then can eat the last of it. Like they eat the crushed up bones mixed up with yak fat and barley flour. Um, Tibetans see the vultures as dakinis which apparently are like angels who take the soul into the heavens to await reincarnation and the next life. The body is a mere vessel for the soul. It sounds gross, but I kind of get it. It's nice. There's nothing left I at the end. I've seen the metaphor, but they shit the... it out. Oh, <laughs> no, I see, I, I, I see it, but... Yeah, you're right. But they, they, would, they would poop it out. Husband says that all the time. What? You eat shit, you die. <laughs> Thanks, darling. But I see the metaphor. Yes, that you're flying. Well, I was more focusing on the gentle It's probably flighting. a good way of not having to bury, of I mean, disposing if you could, of. If you could feed them to butterflies, that would be much nicer be because they just get rid of a bloody murder body. But that would take forever. What? With the vultures. <gasps> No, but then they would find the rock where you chop the murder body up. If it's not in Tibet, if you did that, you know, just in suburbia here, they would find mm. the rock where you did it and your butcher's knife. Again, we only have journo vultures, not actual vultures here, right? Right, we do. Yeah. Uh, if you've seen a dead body, perhaps you've seen one flying in the claws of a of a vulture, we'd Let love to know. hear about it. Mm. Dead Bodies Podcast at gmail.com. Dead Bodies is created by D.D. Dunleavy and Chanel Vela and produced by Kirsten Lim Howe. Contact us at deadbodiespodcast at gmail.com.